This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Furminger, and today I am delighted and honored to welcome Leia Salonga to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Yes, that Leia Salonga, the beloved singer and performer who won a Tony Award for originating the role of Kim in Miss Saigon and who built a global fan base for her work as the singing voices for Jasmine in Aladdin and as Mulan in Mulan and Mulan 2, work for which the Walt Disney company bestowed upon her the title of Disney legend. She was the first Asian woman to play Eponine in the musical Les Miserables on Broadway and returned to the beloved show as Fantine in the 2006 revival. She's performed on the Oscar stage and on stages around the world. She starred in the critically acclaimed Sony musical drama Yellow Rose and in the animated series Centaur Word for Netflix. She joined PBS's Great Performances lineup for their fourth annual Broadway's Best Series. She's currently filming Pretty Little Liars Original Sin for HBO Max, and she will soon embark on her Dream Again tour, which makes a highly anticipated stop in Vancouver on April 12th. And there's so much more to Leia's career and achievements, more than I could possibly sum up in this intro. Honestly, I'm struggling to sum up what makes Leia so inimitable because there's her powerful voice and perfect pitch and something else, something visceral, something that stirs souls and is holy and undeniably unforgettable. Regular listeners to the podcast know that I am a big musical theater nerd. I attended an arts high school as a voice major in the 1990s, and I can't overstate how important Leah's work was to me and my peers. I studied recordings. I tried to mimic not just her technical expertise, but the humanity she imbued in every note, every breath, and well, it is not to be mimicked. And now as a mother to a young girl who counts the Philippines as one of her countries of ancestry, I cannot overstate how important Leah's presence on stages and screens was and is. If you see it, you can be it. But how can you believe that you can be it unless you can see it? Well, Leo was one of the first to do it the way she does it on West End and Broadway stages. She inspires, she delights, she taught BIPOC kids all over the world that yes, even we could be Eponine and Fantine. She uses her voice to entertain and to draw awareness to issues that matter, including, in this day and age, anti-Asian hate. And I am delighted to hear her voice today on this podcast and on April 12th when she brings her Dream Again tour to Vancouver's Queen Elizabeth Theatre. Leah Salonga, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene podcast. Hi. Hi, Sabrina. Oh, my gosh. That intro just, it, it, you made my career sound so incredible. <laughs> But it's, it's like, oh my God. It's all true. It's all true. And it's all you. Yeah. I, mean, I know that as you, as you, as you like list down the, the shows that I've done, it's like, oh my. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, wow, I, I, I guess I really did do that. Yeah, you did do that. So, you know, I'm going to give you the, um, the superhero origin story treatment today and (laughs) and so I want to go back in time you know I'm assuming we're going to the Philippines like what kind of a kid were you what did you want to be when you grew up when were you happiest um let me see um I grew up part of my childhood was spent in Angeles City in Pampanga um 
one of my mom's sisters, her husband was a staff sergeant at Clark Air Base. Mm. And I think my mom and then another sister, they all lived in the same, not in the same subdivision, but definitely in the same area, um, I guess to be closer to one another um, mm. or something. And my mom just remembers that, you know, buying a house in that part of the country was not expensive. And she even told me how much the land cost and then, you know, putting up the house. And I remember what the house looked like and my memories of it are like, just, it was a, it was a three bedroom, like single story front yard, backyard, fruit trees mm. in the in the side, like in the passageway to get from the front yard to the back of the house. And I just remember being happy. And then we moved to Manila when I was about six years old. And that's when everything kind of started. I don't remember, I don't remember what I wanted to be when I grew up, when, mm. you know, when I was like five or six. I don't remember ever making the declaration that, I wanted to be a performer or I wanted to be on stage. It, it, I don't think it was a thing. I knew I could sing. And my mom remembers me climbing up onto the living room table with a plug in my hand, pretending to be, you know, making make believe that it was a microphone. Oh, and yeah, <laughs> I did wonder so, where you were going with that plug story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she would, no, no, no. She, she was, she was a very protective well, still is, but yeah, at the yeah. time she was very protective, wouldn't let me near anything electrical that was plugged in. But if it was just an, like, a, like a plug that wasn't, you know, it wasn't attached to the wall right. or it wasn't in any way dangerous, then she let me use that and pretend that it was a mic. And she remembers me at three doing mm. that. And it wasn't a tall coffee table by any means, but it was this octagon and it was low. So it was easy for me to get up on it. And it yeah. felt like, a stage and so yeah so I think that that's my origin story that is your origin story yeah but it wasn't a, a conscious decision on my part um to to say to the world like this is what I'm going to be and then working towards that for the rest of you know my high school into college life it just didn't happen that way yeah um yeah but I started doing shows and I was seven i auditioned for the first one when i was six turned seven while we were rehearsing and i just just kept on doing that you know i think my mom could see that i was having a great time i was performing with other children that i was motivated and it seemed to be one thing that i really really liked to do yeah and then it now it turned into this so yeah. You How did you feel when you were, you know, seven years old, eight years old, and those and those and having those first experiences on stage? Do you remember like the sense memory and like how how the audience responded to you? Um, I just remember being one of the kids in The King and I, and I was mm. the kid with the long speech at the end of the show, and to be seven and being able to memorize that. Um, yeah, I think I, I remember really pretty costumes. I remember the first time that anyone ever put eyeliner on me because I think at the <laughs> time all of the kids had to be in full on um, Avon ladies were our spot. You know, Beautifont was the brand at the time. Beautifont by Avon. And mm -hmm, I remember, mm -hmm. you know, sponges and pancake um, makeup base and you know, and having all of that put on me and having to line up and to wait my turn. Um, and eyeliner being uncomfortable, you know, that it would make me cry a little bit because because you're seven and mm -hmm. have never done that before. And somebody's sticking something in your eye and then you, you learn the techniques to not cry when, you, you know, the, the, the Avon lady is teaching us what to do and everything and having to climb up like three flights of stairs to get to your dressing room. So stuff like that. I remember. And I, but I do remember being on stage and feeling the lights on me and having no fear whatsoever when I was up on stage, it just felt 
I don't know. Even back then, it felt natural and it felt safe. It, you know, it didn't, it didn't feel alien hmm. in any way. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it, it wasn't a mom, get me out of here. I, I'm scared or it's dark or whatever. It just, it just always felt comfortable yeah. to, to be up there. It's weird, you know, thinking about it. It's, a, it's, it's, well, now it's not a strange thing because I've been doing it for, you know, 40 something years. But yeah, it always felt like home, I guess. So maybe that's why I didn't need to make the declaration hmm. because it was already happening. I usually end with this question, but uh, this feels like the moment to ask it. If okay. You, if you could go back in time and talk to that little girl, you know, getting her eyeliner done, going on stage, feeling seen, feeling no fear, you know, and give her some advice or, or some words of comfort or, or anything at all. Would you like, what would you say? Or would you not say anything at all and just let probably, things go as they Probably may? not. It's yeah. like you just have, there are some things that you just have to, you know, let run its course, I guess. You just have to let things happen as they're supposed to. And given that, you know, I, I wasn't scared or I wasn't, if, if anything, I probably just say, you know, fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be a really, really fun, interesting, bumpy, up, you know, up and down sort of a ride. But, you know, every day that you choose to do this, it'll be worth it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. In, in our origin story, we're going to zoom ahead then to Kim and to Miss Saigon. Okay. How did Miss Saigon change your life? Oh my, I think that was when, um, that was when I realized, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Because when I auditioned for Miss Saigon, I was in my first year at university and I was a biology major with the intention of going to med school. Mm. So, um, yeah, it, it wasn't, you know, it being a performer wasn't the thing that I had consciously chosen as a career for myself because, you know, I, I don't, you know, my parents, you know, always said that, you know, show business was a very fickle career. It's, it's not a, it's not the steadiest of businesses or mm. careers. And so, you know, they both stress the importance of getting a college degree and, and, and all of that. And I was interested in biology. I really enjoyed it in high school. So I thought, you know what, maybe I should take this path on and, you know, and see what happens. And hmm. so I kind of mentally prepared myself for the four years of college and med school and internships, residencies specializations if it got to that point and you know and, and a bunch of my college friends are doctors now and you know so that was the life that was their trajectory and mine just you know there was a fork that came in the road and you know I went on another I went another path um and you were quite young, yeah. right? Like you were. I was I mean, seventeen were, when I auditioned for it. Yeah, seventeen. You know, and it's a it's heavy material. It's a it's a big role. You know, how did you change? Yeah. You know, as a as a woman, as as a human woman. You know, you know, over the course of your your time with Miss Saigon. Um, you asked the question, how did it change my life? I think yeah. the big change for me was that that was when. I did the declaration and that was when mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And, you know, and, and that moment came after a Sunday mass that I went to with my mom. And it was, it, it was, it was weird. It was a visiting priest um, that, that was delivering the homily for that day, uh, the big sermon and reflection on the gospel. And, it was, I think, the parable of these three servants where one servant got 5,000 talents, another one got, I think, two or 3,000, and the other one got one. The first two invested their talents and ended up, you know, 
multiplying it by two. So doubling their, you know, whatever they had had while the other one buried his in the ground. And, you know, the moral of the story is once you have been given such a gift um, by the master of the house and you, then you will get, then you get rewarded. And so the priest basically went up to the pulpit and said only two sentences. He said, you know, all of us have been given gifts by God, Hmm. period. Use the gifts that God gave you, period. Got off the pulpit and sat down, and then there was silence before the rest of the Mass would continue. And then, so after he said that, my mom and I looked at each other, and it was, that you know, there you know there are people that say, you know, there's that moment, that, that moment in your life that kind <sighs> of, you know, decides and sets forward what's going to happen for the rest of your life. And I think that was mine. And it was, it was not a huge, you know, it's not like a moment out of the music man where they're doing like shapoopy or yeah. trouble, you know, where it's, yeah. where it's like a big chorus or, you know, trumpets or bells accompanying or the moment it was very quiet. I was, you know, seated in church and it was just one of those things you know, one of those, I guess, one of those signs from the divine that, you know, and, and so my mind was starting to change. Like, okay, so I had the rest of the year of my contract left. I, I might have had like maybe six months or something, maybe a little bit more. Hmm. And and then as we got closer to the end of my contract period, then the discussions of possibly going to Broadway started happening and happening in the theater because there were discussions on Jonathan Price's casting Mm. and how controversial it was. Um, And then the conversation moved to my casting and Mm. heading to the United States, um, which actually went into arbitration, but that's a whole other conversation. Wow. Um, Yeah. And, and then in and then in January, um, that was when I got the call that I was coming to New York. And with about, I think, less than two weeks to go, you know, visas had to be prepared. And the U.S. Embassy was incredibly helpful in getting us our visas and all of our paperwork because it became such a big thing and it, be, and it got on the news, you know, so the embassy. Um, the ambassador at the time, the ambassador was, you know, the actor Oliver Platt. Um, yeah. Has, yeah. His father. So his dad, oh, Nicholas okay. Platt. Yeah. His father, Nicholas, um, Nicholas Platt was the ambassador of the from the United States, who's who was in the Philippines. So he was stationed in the Philippines, and yeah. So it's a, you know interesting how everything works, and he was just the nicest man. And he was telling me, oh, my gosh, New York is going to be so cold. You have to make sure you wear ski underwear when you go everywhere. Now, as an older adult, I'm like, nah, I don't need the ski underwear. <laughs> Although I do have a drawer full of it over here. Um, but, yeah, I, re- I remember that, that his, his piece of advice. And, <laughs> yeah, so, but here's the funny thing. Um, London even though like that big defining moment in the church happened in London, Hmm. it wasn't until I got to New York that I felt like, Oh my gosh, this is home. And when I stepped onto, like when I got out of the car and in front of the Mayflower hotel, I don't think it exists anymore, but it was the Mayflower hotel in front of central park. And I got out of the car and I didn't go into the hotel yet, but I stepped onto the pavement and it was like, it feels like home and it's a weird, it's a weird, it was a weird feeling. And yeah, you know, and so that is a cinematic moment in the superhero origin story. Absolutely. It's 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 one of those things that could only happen in New York city. I think, I mean, that feeling it's like there was energy coming up from the pavement of my feet. Yeah. And yeah. And to this day, I mean, I'm, talking to you from New York City in my apartment. I've got laundry drying everywhere. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, it's like, yeah, this is, it feels like home base for me. It's, it's, an, it's, yeah, it's, it's, this is my city. Yeah. 
it it claimed you and you claimed you claimed yeah it. we claimed each other yeah. and it's, it's been a long-standing <laughs> relationship even though i've moved to so many other places since um i guess you know the call of the city is just so strong yeah so i'm happy when i'm here what were some of the uh the early challenges that you faced you know, in those in those first years in New York. In those and- first years in New York, um, I, th- I think a lot of I think a lot of Tony winners will might be able to relate. It's that your Tony Award does not guarantee you your next job. <laughs> there's there's that, and I, I do remember that there was I think there was another actor I can't remember who it was, but I was either reading an interview or listening to an interview, and he said, you know, just because you get those accolades and just because you get you know, the trophies are nice, um, but it's not a guarantee of anything. And yeah. to, you know, bring the point further, um, it's recognition for work that's already been done. And I do appreciate the recognition. And, you know, thank you very much for, you know, this trophy and for the body of work that it recognized. But yeah, as that actor said, it does not mean the next thing is going to happen. It doesn't always happen in that, you know, that Hollywood, in the, you know, that, ho- that kind of Hollywood storytelling doesn't always happen. Yeah. And um, I remember my agent at the time calling me, I don't know how many months after I had left the show did this take place. But he said, you know, you're, I'm, I'm submitting you for an audition for this show, for this musical. I'm like, the first thought that entered my mind was I'm definitely not the right vocal type, but oh, okay. If I'm going to be submitted uh, 10 minutes later, he calls back and he says, um, I'm, I'm sorry, but they're not going to see you because you are Asian. So it wasn't oh. that, you know, so it wasn't just that I was the wrong vocal type. I was the wrong type type. Right. And, and yeah. And that was, that was just the way it was. Can, can I ask a, what is that? What did that do to your your soul and your spirit? You know, and and the part of you that is the that is a performer and wants to sing and wants to perform and right. wants, wants to sing roles that are that aren't necessarily quote unquote Asian roles. Right. Um, well, I, I didn't have that much longer to wait because then I got offered Eponine. So it, it wasn't mm-hmm. like I was stink. It wasn't like yeah. I was, you know, um, steeping in that moment. I, yeah. I was like, okay, move on. And yeah, but there was the realization that, oh, I guess that's the world in which I'm in mm-hmm. at the moment. And it was like, oh, oh, okay. And I knew I wasn't get the going to get the role anyway. Um, and I guess there was an awakening for, of of what of what it was of what yeah. it, it you know I always I always just say you know it is what it is and that was what it was at the time that I would not have even been you know given five minutes to be in the room mm. to audition for for something like that but not long after that I got called into Cameron McIntosh's conference room here in New York City Um, and Richard J. Alexander who at the time was the resident director and one of the associate producers of Les Mis here on Broadway like the first the original production Mm -hmm. the original Broadway production Um, and this was maybe five years four or five years after it opened when did it open here I think 1987 Mm. so yeah yeah so like five years into the run on Broadway, I got asked if I wanted to be part of it. And I'm like, oh my God. And this, and Eponine was a role that I was obsessed, literally obsessing over, um, even while I was doing Miss Saigon. She has um, the best song. She has the best has, song. It's the song. It's, it's, it's the song. And I was like so fixated on the song. Um, and I became fixated on Les Mis after I auditioned and hmm. for, for Miss Saigon. And that, that's when I got really, really, really obsessed. And when I got, um, when I was in, because Cameron brought me to London for what he called final assessments. And as part of the trip, 
I headed, I was, you know, given tickets to see Phantom Les Mis Cats. So there were two of us that were up for Kim and my mom chaperoned us both. And so, yeah, so we, we went to see, we went to see Les Mis and I was like, oh my God. And I watched, I watched the show and then Lindsay Haightley was, who played Carrie here on Broadway. She was playing Eponine and, and that, that was it. It was like the minute I saw that role on stage, I was like, one day I'm going to do that. One day I'm going to, it was like in my head. It was like, that's, that's, that's the one, that's the role. And, and so when I got asked to, to play it here, it just, it was like, it was huge. It was, it was like, oh my God, you were basically asking me to play this role that I've just been obsessing over the last couple of years. And so it felt like a huge opportunity and it, I don't know. It was like God giving me a high five or giving me the thumbs up sign. I don't know. It was, it just, it was like, okay, this is, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be fantastic. And preparations went into my doing it. And, and just before opening night, it was like, okay. It's like the realization of just how big of a deal it was going to be was really sinking in and, I was like, I, I, I'd better do this well. I had better do this yeah. right, and I had better nail that song every time I open my mouth to sing it. Mm. Um, when you, yeah. so when you when you talk about that that the pressure that you were feeling, like was it because of the like the history of the moment? You know, because you were the first Asian woman to perform yeah. that role and sing that song. You know, yeah, I, I wanted to prove that, guys, this is actually good casting this is not a stunt this is not um you know this is not a novelty sort of a thing it's the no she really has the pipes for that role and yeah she's you know i mean yeah she's asian but this is this is it's like it's it's like you know proving it's like the production i think wanted to say we're we're casting her because she's right for it Mm. Not we're casting her because it's January and we're trying to put butts in seats. <laughs> That's that, you know, and when, you know, whenever the winter season comes, I think every production tries to figure out how do we attract audiences during this very difficult time mm. in a run. And, and January is a dreaded, you know, it's after the holidays and things are usually pretty slow, even for a show as beloved as Lame as a Rob. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just, I, I remember having so much fun every time I got up on stage to do it. Every time I had to put the dirt on my arms and on my face and on my chest. And, you know, it's, it's pretty gross and sticky playing that part because <laughs> it's there's not glamorous, blood. right? It's, it's not, it's not a glamorous part to play and there's blood involved and a shower is definitely due by the time I'm carried off. I'm like, okay, I need, I need to shower like right now. And thankfully there is time. (laughs) Um, But, but yeah, it's, it was just so enjoyable and such a thrill to get to hear that overture every day and wait backstage for, you know, you know, for, you know, to, to play that part. And the cool thing about having played it, in New York is that when I actually got to play it in London, not long, maybe a couple of years after, it's like plug and play. You can unplug somebody from one production and then plug them right into another one. And, you know, save for a few directorial decisions, um, um, you know, between one production and the other, it was, it was really easy getting put into, you know, the other show it was in the other production and it was like oh my god this is like the palace theater oh my god this is london and this is this is like this the show has been done here like forever and ever and ever and i got to do it over there and it was four months and it was such a an amazing it was such an amazing thing to be a part of to do that role over there and have a Cockney accent and, and get to play that part. And it was just, I just had the most fun. 
yeah. you know, doing the role in London. It was really, really the most fun. How has Broadway changed? And by Broadway, I mean Broadway and the West End and like, you know, the, the theater world yeah, really in general. the theater world. You know, how do you think that that world has changed, you know, since you made your debut, you know, in... I don't mean your Miss Saigon debut. I mean your your uh, Eponine debut. Um, you know, as far as diversity and inclusion, you know, which are which are words that a lot of people are using these days, but have seen yeah, some representation. With, yes, representation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, as as you said at the beginning of of the podcast, if you can see it, you can be it, and you know, and how that's going to influence so many generations of performers way after I am six feet under the ground. Mm. Um, it's definitely gotten better. It's, it's definitely, you know, I, I mean, I haven't really been in a Broadway theater in a while. I mean, I went to the opening of six. That was the last Broadway show that I got to see. And even on that stage, um, seeing Asian American, African American faces and, you know, playing the wives of Henry VIII yeah. and even, and then taking the narrative forward and seeing that these were these six amazing women, but you know, who themselves were reflections of a very different time. Mm. And because the show is, I mean, yeah, the show is set in, you know, as if it was a girl band, you know, singing in a concert. So because of where, things are set, the narrative has to change. So in relating that to this discussion, it's like the narrative is changing. I mean, young Asian girls can aspire to be on Broadway and not be told, oh, no, 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 there isn't a place for you mm. on that at that table to actually, you know, be able to make the declaration and say, I've, I've seen it done, I can do it too. Yeah. Um, of course, if you have, it. you know, yeah. if the cho- <laughs> if, the, if you have the if you have the chops, then absolutely you can be a part of the discussion, and you can be, you know, you can you have a seat at the table, um, and be, be you know be able to be some be that for someone else in the future, and so it's it's possible when there are things like Hamilton that that are created when things like Hades town are created where race is not a major character in the discussion, you know, in the show, obviously there are going to be productions where it has to be like as correct as you can make it to be things like, I think showboat things like even ragtime. Um, Yeah. So where, where you really have to see the color divide between african-american and caucasian and i think at the time it was eastern european jewish immigrants so there's there's you know the immigrants um so yeah so but to see so much more diversity on stage um to see that the discussion is continuing and moving forward it makes me as a person of color and as a performer of color it makes me feel like it, you know, like it was all worth it to go through whatever I I went through in my 20s and to be in my 50s now and see everything that's happening. It's like, oh my gosh, to have been able to be a part of that change. Yeah. It's really important. incredible. Yeah. Um, I I did mention in my intro that that you and I've noticed this specifically on social media that you do speak out a lot about about uh, anti Asian hate and you know s- since the beginning of the pandemic, I mean in Vancouver since the beginning of the van- pandemic we have seen a three thousand percent increase in acts of violence against Asian Canadians, um, Asian Americans. Uh, what role do you think? the entertainment industry from stage to screen can play in combating this, this hatred, this racism against Asians. Oh my gosh. Um, I think there needs to be conscious decisions when creating stories where people of color are cast. I mean, we should not be, 
cast as sex objects, um, can't be cast as, as far as, say, Asian men, should not be placed in this light of being emasculated. I mean, I love seeing sexy, strong Asian men on stage and on screen, and thankfully we're seeing more and more of that. And not you know, enough, but so enough. much more. <laughs> there is there is more. I mean, I watched I watch Riverdale and Charles Melton, who oh plays God. Reggie, right? Isn't he just the most exquisite, exquisite creature? Like that old ever, Hollywood. Like, like old Hollywood <sighs> cheekbones and hair and height and body and, you know, and, and just... It just just a beautiful, beautiful human. I think mm. I think his mother is Korean, and you can see the mix. But I'm, I was like, oh my god, it's just it's exquisite. He is yes. exquisite. It's just a beautiful, beautiful human. And then to see him as the leading man in a film, I forgot the name of the movie, and I'm kicking myself in the pants for it now, but. It's like, oh my God, you are the lead. You are the lead in a film. Yeah, I think it was a two-hander, um, and the leading lady was African American. I'm like, oh my God, we need more. We need more oh, of this. It was, it was based a on rom-com. a rom-com. Yes, that it was. Oh. It was a romantic movie. I gotta yeah, find it. <laughs> I know. You have to, you have to IMDb it. I'm gonna IMDb, IMDb it, it now. Yeah, I have to because uh, because yeah, no, I That's want everybody. If you important. don't know him, listeners. You need to. You Google have to man. Google this man. He is, you know, I mean, him and Daniel. Oh shoot! The he sun is also a star. The sun yeah, is also the a star. The sun is also a star. So yeah, so you have <laughs> to, you have Wait, to I, look at him and Daniel. Shoot! I, another no, name. I to, <laughs> Daniel. Sh- wait, wait, Dan, I'm, I'm gonna have to hang on. I'm gonna I, because I have. Can you I do have, this one? I have to. I'm going to do this one. Okay. Uh, Big Hero 6. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay, okay. you do it, you do it, you do it. I'm not doing it. Put my hands up. Um, Daniel Henney. Oh, my goodness. He's another one. Just beautiful, yeah. beautiful Asian man. And, of course, there's Russell Wong, um, who was in um, the Joy Luck Club. Mm-hmm. And just that's another beautiful, like, Asian man. And I think the older he's getting, the more beautiful he is. And of course there's Keanu Reeves. Um, Yeah. So Tony Leung. Tony Leung. Jesus Christ. And then there's, (laughs) and then, and then you have BT. And then there's also um, who just won the SAG award, Lee Jung-jae for Squid Game. And then Jung Ho-yeon from Squid Game. So you have Asian faces that are now in in much more mainstream media. And of course there's BTS Yes, I heard and your army. You are I BTS am, army. I am such a huge fan. So it's it's just funny to me. So that dynamite became such a hit at the height of all of this violence against Asian Americans and Asian Canadians. It, you know, when there were all these attacks against the AAPI community in, you know, pretty much everywhere. It's, mm-hmm. you know, and here's that song. And here comes these seven beautiful Korean men singing and dancing. And then I and then I started watching interviews and just how they answer questions and so respectable and so dignified and and they're men. Mm-hmm. They're yeah, they wear makeup. Yes, they're singing and dancing, and you know, and some of their stuff is like really really colorful. But that's the genre. Mm-hmm. That's just the world in which they revolve, but it's it just seemed almost providential that at the height of all of this, and they themselves, you know, donated to Black Lives Matter, and they themselves speak out against, you know, API hate, and they're, you know, and and they they speak out against racism because they've themselves been on that side of the equation and they've received their own, you know, know, they've been attacked, they have been criticized and, you know, it, and it still happens even as, you know, as successful as they've been in the last couple of years, you know, there are 
going to be racist people who will, you know, minimize them and their impact. And so as an Asian performer, I'm like, how dare? Yeah. How dare you? You have to see them for what they are and and how so many people of color, you know, are just flocking to them because, oh my gosh, we are feeling seen. Yeah. And, you know, being shown that, yeah, you can look like this and be successful and sing in your native language and and you know and the world will go because you're giving us something that we didn't realize we wanted so badly and Mm -hmm. so after a history of asian men in media being emasculated feminized portrayed as the criminal portrayed as the bad guy Mm. um to see you know them and other groups being the good guys and being handsome and you know with and their choreography is not a joke so you'd better have oh. physical stamina you know and it, and you know it's, it's, it's so it's like it's 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 so this generation has them yeah so as an asian performer that's been at the game forever it's like Oh my gosh, I've been waiting for something like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's yeah, the world has been waiting for for that and it's you, you're giving the world what what it needs. So yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> so just, it just makes me happy to see I just laughing like I'm chuckling to myself because uh somebody at point said you should get her talking about BTS and I just I just did and then you just <laughs> went up and I love it. But I'm also gonna do one of my my uh I don't know if there's signature segues. You talked about the importance of representation and what it means to see yourself on screen. Well, I am a South Asian Canadian woman and for the longest time I did not see people who looked like myself on screen. But back in the 90s, in the early 90s, the first brown Disney princess was Jasmine. Yeah. And that was you. You you sang one of the most iconic Disney songs. That's my way of segueing to talking about Disney. Okay. Okay. Oh, and also as a South Asian Canadian woman, I also want to point out sexy South Asian man, Rahul Kohli. How do you spell that, please? How do you spell it? Because I'm going to write R-A-H-U-L-K-O-H-L-I. that right now. R-A-H-U-L-K-O-H-L-I. He is Rahul Kohli. Rahul okay. Kohli. Yeah. Look him okay, up. hang on. He- I, am de- <laughs> I, am, I am Googling him right yeah, now. Yeah, he films a lot of stuff actually in Vancouver, um, Midnight oh, Mass, uh, Haunting of oh my. Uh, Bly Ooh. Manor. He's, mm. Oh, he's British. Oh, yeah. oh boy. Yeah. You have South Asian and British. Oh, he did The Haunting of Bl- I don't want to watch horror. That's the, that's the problem. I don't so like being like- scared either. I don't like being scared either, but it's a wonderful, it's a story and it's a love story. It's a queer oh, sweet. Yeah. No, I don't like... Oh, he's handsome. Yeah, this very, is a handsome, very... <laughs> hand, this is a handsome man. Okay. A handsome man, a damn fine actor. Um, Jasmine, Disney, singing yeah. those songs. What do you remember about actually recording those songs? You know, and, and how, how, like, how did that experience, you know, change you and challenge you? Okay. Um, well, first of all, we have to go back to the audition because that was always funny. Um, I, audi- I was still in the Saigon here in, on Broadway when I got the call to, when I, hang on, I don't think this, it was even my agent that got me the job. I mean, he negotiated the contract and everything, but... Um, at the Miss Saigon call board, like right by the stage door, there's like a cork board where you have your emergency numbers, call sheet, whatever. There was a note pinned on the board that had my name on it. And so I, you know, and it was, it was a note from the casting director. Um, his name was Albert Tavares. And he said, oh, we've been looking for you. Would you be able to, would you be able to come in? And, um, yeah, would you be able to come in and, and, you know, audition for this new Disney thing? And so I called him and, and he, 
I don't remember much about the conversation, but I remember being told where to go for the audition. And I, you know, wasn't sure what to wear for auditions like this. I remember mm. wearing an oversized winter sweater, just put my hair up in a top knot just because it get, just get it out of the way. And I don't remember wearing makeup. Hmm. Yeah, to this. And so I was brought into the room and I met Alan Menken and Tim Rice. Um, and I think the directors were also there. I kind of went in as a blur, but I do remember Tim and I do remember Alan. And I, I sang The Little Mermaid. I sang Part of Your World from The Little Mermaid. Yes, you that was did. My, that was my audition song. <laughs> my audition songs were always on my own, Part of Your World, at, Part of Your World, and La Jazz Hot. Those were my three. But I okay. just, I love that you auditioned with Part of Your World. That's yeah, amazing. I did. So, and and then after I was done, Alan got up, went to the piano, and called me to you know go to the piano with him. And so, he then started to bring up the key just higher and higher by, by increments. So he first brought it a half step up and to, to hear my voice singing part of your world, a half step higher. Mm. And then he brought it up a little bit more. He must've done this maybe two or three times. I guess he just needed to see how high my voice could go. Yeah. And when I got the demo recording of a whole new world to study it in order to do another demo recording for it, I was like, aha, now I understand why he did that at the audition. And so Brad Kane and I were brought in to do like, like a demo of the song. And then we did the final version, not, not long after that. And the process, it just happened so quickly. So we were, we were brought in and, and it was a huge orchestra. And, and I think that, I think there's like behind the scenes video of the day. And so I, we went in and we recorded our vocals. Pretty much the whole day was spent recording the vocals for this. Because we first had to sing so that the orchestra had something to follow. Hmm. And then we would fine tune, refine once we were in like properly padded like booths. And then we could like, there was I think a glass, like a, like a glass partition so that we could see each other while we were recording and singing this oh you um, recorded simultaneously then yeah okay, so we recorded it? we recorded it together That's um, lovely. yeah but I think we would we would be in isolation just for punch-ins and touch-ups and that kind of thing and yeah and I remember we were being called in really early in the morning like at around eight or nine or something for the orchestra call and and then we would we were just kept in for the rest of the day to really perfect the vocal. Yeah. And yeah. And we were shown storyboards. Um, there was no animation at that point because, right. you know, uh, a whole new world was kind of an 11th hour decision. It wasn't in the original like schematic of the film. Wow. It was, it was just, it was just one of those things that they decided, I think towards the end of the process um they were wow. saying oh yeah jasmine needs a song and at the time i think it was just robin williams as the genie it was just the genie that would have you know songs so neither voice actor that was cast for aladdin or jasmine could sing hmm. hence they had to hire other people to provide the singing voices for these two characters yeah and and yeah and that that's how we got in and and now this song is so iconic and it's just taken on a life of its own which i did not expect i don't think you go in with that expectation you just you go in hoping you know to hope you hope to do a good job and you hope that it makes for a good story point in the movie and you, that that's kind of all you can hope for and then here we go and then that happens wow you blown it's my mind nuts, right yeah. it's nuts <laughs> it's it's crazy when you think about it it's like oh my god i can't believe that that actually that actually happened it, it totally it was, happened 
Wow. I honestly, I mean, I would have thought that that would have been the starting point for the whole thing. And then no, absolutely not. around that song. Well, like it's like Howard Ashman. Yeah. Like Howard Ashman was the lyricist on, I think three of the, three of the songs. Um, but then he passed away. I think even while, I think he, he, he had passed away. I don't think beauty and the beast was even completed yeah. when he, when he died. Um, but there were already songs written for Aladdin and that was going to be his next big collaboration with, well, it kind of still is, but because a whole new world was an 11th hour decision, they had to find another, another person to write the lyrics. And they found Tim Rice, who, my God, who was another musical theater legend um, from Evita and Jesus Christ superstar. Um, So, I, I I told my I told my daughter not not and, and she's obsessed with Jesus Christ Superstar right now, and so I told her, oh yeah, the guy who did the lyrics for Jesus Christ Superstar wrote the lyrics for a whole new world. And I was driving in the car when I dropped this on her, and she was like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. Right. I lo- so, I love that. You. I mean, I so. I was going to say, what does your kid think about the work that you do? You know, because our kids don't always think that even if we have a cool job, that what we do yeah. is cool. So it's nice when you can impress your, <laughs> you can impress your child. Yeah, I mean, the Disney, the Disney films did not really impress her very much. I mean, they're, I mean, yeah, it's mommy's job. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that, that, that's it. But I can't exactly say, you know, that she's fascinated. I think she's fascinated by it, but not because I did it. I think she just likes the world and likes the work itself. Mm. And she loves to sing. And I think she'd like to do musicals someday. Um, But also to hear her talk with her friends, with one of her best friends, you know, regarding, oh yeah, this doesn't make sense because of A, B, C, or D. And I'd, I'd be like, huh, that she's able to point certain things out I'm like, babes, maybe, maybe, maybe one day you're going to be, you're, you're going to be a director or you're going to be a writer or, you know, maybe that's, that could be one of your paths into this. Yeah. And she's like, really? You think so? Like, yeah. Cause I, I certainly didn't think about stuff the way that she thinks about them now yeah. or be able to be so, um, to be able to look at something with a critical, with a really critical eye and be able to say, well, hang on, that moment didn't make sense because of A, B, C, or D. And I don't remember being 15 and able to do that. And for her to be able to do that at, at such a young age and be able to point something out that doesn't make sense. It's like, maybe, you know, maybe there's something more to what you are thinking with regards to all of this. It's, it's, it's interesting. So I just have to try and be as discerning and open, you know, with, with how she manifests her desires and in even just conversations that she has yeah. with, with her peers. So yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. There's a lot. And in our origin story, we have covered a lot, but I must talk with you about your dream again tour yeah um, which you are bringing to vancouver on mm-hmm. april 12th what can audiences expect from this show which for a lot of us might actually be our first time back in the theater like i actually think it's right. be my first time back in the theater since pre-pandemic since times. yeah since what feels like forever i mean yeah you know as an aside my daughter who really has been isolated for the last However many years, I mean, just having me and her, her dad for company and her cat, um, (laughs) you know, and over the course of the pandemic and only seeing her friends either on audio chat or video chat or Zoom classes for school. um, Yeah, it's, it's, I think that's how a lot of us are going to feel. I mean, I did a show on Christmas day, just last Christmas. Um, and it was like, what is, what is this first outing going to be like? And by the time I get to Vancouver, I think I'll have a lot of those initial 
tour jitters out of the way mm. because we're we're starting off in Winnipeg and then making our way to Vancouver. Um, so it's 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 going to be, I think, a lot of fun. But yeah, I'm realizing that this is going to be a lot of people's first time back in a per, in a venue yeah. where they'll get to see live music and a live performer in front of them. And so I think to say that we are all collectively a little nervous and excited and is, is yeah, is, is pretty accurate. We don't know what's going to happen. And this is my first time on tour in a couple of years. I mean, the last tour I did was in 2019. Wow. So what a gift. You're giving yeah. people. I mean, for a lot yeah. of us, theater is our spiritual place. It is our yeah, church. Yeah, it's church for many you know? of us. Yeah. So, so I think for a lot of us, like, I don't know if that's what your The Dream Again title refers to, but it's like, I, I'm excited to go back in there and into the theater and have that magical experience, you know, yeah. with you, you know, so what, what are some of that, like, and yeah, I don't want, I don't want to know, don't give me a, <laughs> there's all the spoilers about what to expect, because I, I mean, all of us want surprises, but what can you tell us about what we're going to see, what we're going to experience from you? you know, during, um, during your tour? I honestly really don't know. I mean, yeah, sure. I have <laughs> my set list. Um, I do have a game plan and I've got outfits and I'm going to get a couple of pairs of shoes made. I mean, I'm 51 and I can't just buy shoes off the rack anymore. Um, I, I need to get them like <laughs> made and it's, it's, yeah. So I, I, I got in touch with one of with another friend from New York who, does this for like a living and so you know fittings and all of that are in the works but um quite honestly I don't know what we can expect um but I think we're all going to be really excited and what I'd like to what I what I'm hoping is that okay we all know our protocols we all know the safety measures we all know what it's going to take for us to take care of one another while, you know, while getting back to life and doing the things that we love to do. Um, yeah, I think, I think so much has been drilled into our heads as to what to, you know, or, or what to do to stay safe and what yeah. to do to be able to enjoy all of this again. Um, if that means masking up, um, get the masks from South Korea because they are so light on your face and they do not feel like you're wearing a mask. So that's, that's my one hot tip. If you go on, go on, get on Amazon and buy air Queens. Yeah. They will, they will change your life. They were they're, they're, they are amazing. And you forget that you have a mask on. I really, love that kind of do. tip. I love that yeah, kind of that's tip. A, and yeah, we're so in that, Vancouver are very, we take our, our masking and all these protocols really seriously. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people actually, do um it's like if i want to return to life and keep other people safe um i gotta do what i gotta do and oh i'll i'll, I'll hear the i will hear the very vocal responses because those those air queens are so thin um <laughs> but they're they, but they're really good protection and yeah. i i have like a stack in the apartment um but yeah but i've digressed enough so yeah i think all of us are going to just be really excited and nervous and you know normally i like being the pilot of a of a like being the pilot or the captain of a ship and everyone just gets taken on this ride but because of the you know two years of not you know two no three years of not having toured um and the last concert having been in december but previous to that, it was like a year and nine months. So it, I think there's there's going to be a lot of we're in this together and we all don't know what we're doing. So mm. I think we're all going to be in the same boat and we're all going to be, yeah, we're all going to feel like we can't always predict what's going to happen. There's a part of that that's exciting. Um but there's also a part of that that's kind of making me nervous, mm -hmm, not in mm -hmm. a bad way. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's a part of that that's like, okay, this is, this is going to be fun. 
and yeah, we'll just have to roll with the punches. So it's, I think, going to be as unpredictable for me as it will be for the people watching um, in the theater. Yeah. Um, it sounds yeah, like it'll be unpredictable. Vancouver, oh, so yeah, oh, yeah really? one of my best friends okay. lives in Vancouver, and he's been there since since COVID. Um, since like mid March, he's been mid March of 2020. He's been there, so Whoa. I haven't seen him in a couple of years. So I'm I'm hoping to finally get to throw my arms around his neck and be able to just, you know. Yeah, that sounds so wonderful. It'll, it'll be fun. Yeah, it sounds like fun. it'll be fun and it'll be magical and it will be healing. It's like we need the arts to help us heal. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. And yeah. So to be in a to be in a dark theater, um, in a performance venue, I think it's it'll be healing for everyone on all sides of of the proscenium and you know people backstage, on stage, in the audience. I think. We all need this right yeah. now. We all yeah. do. Oh, I'm crying. I've all got tears kind of <laughs> well in my eye just thinking about how magical it's actually going to be. Leah Salanga, it's been an absolute pleasure. Salamat po. Oh, uh, thank you. You're so welcome. Where can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate you on the social media? On the on all the social media, on like I think pretty much on all of them, you can find me at ms leia salonga. Um, my website is leiasalonga.com, where you will find ticketing information and schedules for um, for my Dream Again tour, and that includes the UK, which happens in the summer. Yay. Um, so yeah, so I think you'll be able to find me on Twitter. You'll be able to find my official Facebook and Instagram. And I write also on Tumblr, but that's more of like a personal blog, but it, it has the same handle. Um, yeah, so you can pretty much find me anywhere, everywhere, <laughs> everywhere and anywhere. Wow. I, I love that. Cause often people come on here and they're, they're good with Twitter or they're good with Instagram, but like they're scared of other parts, but I, I like it. You've embraced, you've embraced it all. Yeah. I mean, I try, try to not so much minimize my personal. Yeah. Kind of minimize my, you know, just so that I, I, I can't be living on social media. I need to live in the real world. So I post when I feel like this is important this is important to me. I have to post this. Um, if I, when I feel comfortable enough to post about something. Um, yeah. If it, yeah. So I'm, I'm on Twitter quite a bit and on Instagram for a little bit, but I'm not all that great with Instagram. I could be better. <laughs> I you can take what? more pictures. Maybe this tour, <laughs> maybe the dream again tour is when you're going to get really good at Instagram. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that's going to happen. Maybe I'll help my daughter do everything for me. That's the way to do it. My daughter will be introducing me to TikTok at some point when she actually lets me do that. Thank you so, so You're much. You're very welcome. Leia Thanks Salonga. for having me. Thank you. And Vancouver, the Dream Again Tour hits Vancouver on April 12th. You can visit uh, Leah's website, leahsalonga.com or check the footnotes of this episode for ticket details. Thank you for joining us. Like and subscribe. Leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners and we can keep having conversations like the incredible one we had today with Leah Salaga. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenscene and at SabrinaArf. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Furminger, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Furminger Devil, a poor, poor, not Furminger Dane, for the original music. Wavier Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut. This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. 
In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.